Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with veteran jazz saxophonist Javon Jackson. This legendary... This cat with the legendary status talked about his newest 2018 CD, for you that it is full of originals and covers by Wayne Shorter and Cedar Walton. Initially, he got his start in 1992 with his recording debut of Me and Mr. Jones featuring Jason Williams, Christian McBride, and master drummer and NEA jazz master Elvin Jones. But he came into international prominence touring and recording with the legendary drummer Art Blakey as a member of the Messengers, symbolizing a new generation of musicians that blended tradition with neo-jazz. He went on to release 14 recordings as a band leader and tour and record over 135 CDs with legends all over the place. And he talks about it. So get to know him and dig this interview, my friends. Wonderful. Hey, thank you for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz. I appreciate it. No problem. So I just had to turn down my radio. I had Sun Up playing in the Sun is definitely up here in Kansas City today, so uh, uh-huh. I was really enjoying this album, um, this latest album for you. And I want to ask about this album. It, it just seems like you had a good time making this album, and I think that the, the sound is, is is beautiful. How do you feel about this album? Right, I did have a good time making it. I really enjoy uh, the musicians and the band that I have currently constructed, so it was enjoyable, no question about it. So you got original compositions, you have a Wayne Shorter composition, Cedar Walton, a few. Talk to me about how you selected these tracks to get to this album. As it came to the originals, these are things that I've been somewhat performing a little bit in the band with the band at that time, so they made sense. Other pieces are kind of gems, if you will, that I've always enjoyed, thought about recording. So the Wayne Shorter piece was something that I was always aware of, through my time with the Messengers, Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, and I just thought it would be something nice to kind of acknowledge that period of my life playing with Art Blakey. So talk to me about where you were born and raised. I was born in Carthage, Missouri. Then I was raised, my folks lived in Cleveland until I was about seven, and then we moved to Denver, Colorado, and I was there until I went away for college. So all my musical beginnings and kind of uh, embryonic stages and things like that started in Denver. So talk to me about what albums you started listening to in the beginning that really got you hooked on jazz. Well, my parents were big jazz fans, avid music listeners, but particularly jazz. So I heard it in my home from as young as I can remember. So I heard Ahmed Jamal. My father loved um, Gene Ammons. I heard a lot of Gene Ammons. I heard Miles. I heard Coltrane, Dexter Gordon, Jack McDuff, all of those artists in my home. So it was always around me in that way. And my parents, not being musicians, they just listened to a lot of music. So as I began to play the saxophone about 10 or 11, I just was listening to what they were doing. And then all of a sudden, kind of one day, uh, my father kind of asked me if um, you think you could play some of this stuff, you know, a song. It was a, a Sonny Stitt and Gene Ammons record called You Talk That Talk. And I remember him asking me, can you learn some of this? Can you play some of this? Because he heard me playing what I was playing at school. So he kind of challenged me to learn what Gene Ammons was playing. And so that's really how it started for me in terms of what we call learning solos and getting the information or getting the language kind of started like this. So once you started getting into the instrument and playing jazz, was mm-hmm. it something that you knew that your life was going to become 
be a, mus- a musician? Was that a foregone conclusion? Or were there other things in your life you were thinking about? Well, my father took me to see Sonny Stitt at a club in in Denver. He took me to this club, and I saw Sonny Stitt. I was about uh, maybe 13. And I knew when I left the club, I said, I want to do that. Since your debut in 92 with uh, me and Mr. Jones, you've, you've released so many albums, either as a solo artist or as a side person. And my question is this, especially with solo work, with each successive album, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to get a snapshot in that kind of your artistic creativity in your life, or are you doing something along an evolutionary path? Well, they're both the same in a way, because as you evolve, you want to get a snapshot of whatever that evolution is. So I uh, am happy to record what's going on at this point in my life, and hopefully this part of my life is in some ways better or more seasoned or there's more history or, or expression in a good way, in the way of maturity, than it was four years ago. Bottom line is to be good, and hopefully that um, the listener appreciates that and, and enjoys that perspective of it. And then hopefully, artistically, if we can move others, that's important as well. But just the bottom line of just hopefully the appreciation that what we were trying to do at some levels was accepted. You know, there's a lot of students out there. There's a lot of young musicians coming up that are learning many things in the classroom. And you had the fortunate opportunity to learn from Art Blakey. Talk to me about what he taught you, not only as a mentor, but what he taught you about life. Don't take yourself too seriously. Every time you perform or every time you play, every time you practice, pretend it's the last time you'll ever practice. Also, that experience teaches. Experience is the best teacher. As much as you can, let your audience know when you're performing how much you appreciate them being there because they could be somewhere else. Be professional and be excellent. Always go for some level of excellence. It's about being excellent. So you've also played with so many other people like Betty Carter, Cedar Wall, and Ron Carter. The list goes on and on. What did they teach you? What did the elders teach you that's made you an effective teacher to younger players that you get around? Just that. Don't be... uh, forgetful that you have to help the people that come behind you in the same way they help me. So I've got to pass it back to them and try to be as available as I can to the next generation in the way that generation was for me. And to be encouraging, too, at the same time. And be understanding that things are going to evolve and they might not be presented or the performance might not be exactly the same as it was when I was coming up or before that. And so that's what I'm learning, just trying to keep that all in perspective. I want to ask you about traveling and performing live. It's a huge component of what you've done in your life. And I want to know how important has it been for you to see other cultures and other areas of the world to present your music to? It's a great equalizer because it allows me to see that everyone is basically the same. We have the same emotions, the same feelings. We might speak different languages, but we basically are the same. And when you go to Germany and you get a certain amount of appreciation, when you go to South Africa and get appreciation, or if you go to Japan and get that appreciation, it's the same as as I played in New York last week, that the people really appreciate this art form known as jazz all over the world. So it's a great equalizer. It's humbling. So as an educator, what's the main thing that you want to teach your students? Consistency. Hard work, consistency, and humility. 
So as we look into the world of 2018 and jazz, how healthy is jazz as an organism? You've seen this for a long, long time. You've seen a lot of changes. How's everything going in 2018? It's going great. Look at all the universities that have jazz music that didn't have them 50 years ago. You have jazz at Lincoln Center. You have San Francisco Collective, I believe this one, starting in Houston, a version of jazz at Lincoln Center. you got jazz in all of the various countries in the world. I'm going to China next week for the next month, sorry, for the first time to play the Beijing Blue Note. There's jazz everywhere. So at the university where I'm the chair of the Jackie McLean Jazz Studies Department, we have students that are in a program from China. So it's expanding in a way that none of us could have uh, foreseen, and it's good. Let me ask you this. You've won a lot of awards in your life, and I don't want to know what your favorite award is. That's not a fair question. But what I want to know is, what award have you received that really took you by surprise? You just didn't expect it. I don't want to evade the question. I just don't know any one accolade that would be more rewarding than playing with our Blakey or having a relationship with Sonny Rollins, or saying that uh, I get to have a, a conversations regularly with Jimmy Heath, or having an opportunity to have played with Freddie Hubbard, or knowing some of the other musicians that are still here that I've been able to spend time with, to have played with Harry Sweets Edison, who could tell me about Lester Young. That would be the greatest reward, just being able to really speak about my heroes with other heroes and get a chance to just share words or conversations with them. To me, that would be my greatest reward or award. Yeah, I love that answer. Let me ask you this. What about a fan after a show? I mean, is there anything that someone said to you that kind of really moved you in a certain way that was pretty profound after a show? Yeah, if someone comes to me just the other night we played in New York and a person said, hey, I drove all the way from Philadelphia just for your show and they drive all the way back or one time, an individual took a flight all the way from Japan just for one night at the Vanguard to see me, and then went back home. Or um, you're playing a ballad. You look on the front row, and the woman is crying. A woman is crying with her husband because you moved them. So those are the things that are make the music really humbling and allow me to know that it's bigger than me. What's next? What Down the line, let's say you know you, you still have a lot more life in you, a lot more jazz in you. What are you looking to do as the road winds down for you? I'm just open to other possibilities and other chances. And I want to continue to get better. I want to continue to develop and grow. Are you happy with how everything's turned out up to this point? Sure. Absolutely. Very happy. Let me ask you this. You you perform with so many people, so many luminaries and so many jazz musicians over the years. What shows have you seen Let's go from that Sonny Stitch show when you were a child. What other shows have you witnessed that really left a deep impact on you? Well, I mean, it would be hard to to, uh, say. And again, there's been so many. And I don't even want to say that it's always been a jazz performance. But obviously, the first time I got to see Sonny Rollins in person or seeing Aretha Franklin about 15, 20 years ago with the great Kenny Garrett. We were close friends. We went and... He watched me doing the show, start crying. Her, her her ability to convey what she did to me just brought me to tears. I'm seeing Ray Charles. Uh, first time I got to, to see Ray Brown and, and Milt Jackson play. So it's just kind of hard to say one. Almost every time you see something, you're moved. I saw the great Gal Costa 
Brazilian uh, musician. Uh, it was it moved me. Uh, Jao Gilberto. Uh, this is so many. So it'd be hard. Stevie Wonder. It's, it's so it's very hard to say because everyone. Every time you speak to someone, you should be getting a reaction. If that's making sense. Every person I've seen has, has given me something, and some, not necessarily old or younger, can give you something too. So it's kind of difficult to say just one individual, even though I call those names. Even playing still, you get something on stage with, from individuals while you're playing too. So, again, I'm not trying to evade the question. It's just hard to qualify with one or two names. So this is my final question. I want to ask you this. Everyone has a version of who you are, your family, your friends, your fans, but you know yourself best. You lead your own life. Who do you think you are? I take myself seriously, maybe sometimes too seriously, but I really do try to consistently look in the mirror and say, how can we be more effective? We being Javon, are we being as respectful of others as we want to be respected? And are we trying to do a comparative analysis of ourself versus yesterday. Am I a little better today than I was yesterday? Am I still doing the same kinds of things every day, every day, every day? So if I'm doing that, then you can't expect to go up the ladder. So the idea that I still am trying to uh, evolve. I like it. Javon, that's a great way to wrap everything up. Thank you for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz. Thank you for all the music. Hey, thank you very much. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Denver, New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Javon for his time, his cool, and his stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Neon Jazz.